Hello and welcome to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. It's been a busy racing weekend already, especially Ooh. for you, Matt. You were on course getting wet yesterday. We're going to start with that. Not you getting wet, but the Burton Futurity Stakes. Nice, impressive performance from Auguste Rodin. Yes, the old French sculptor. Actually has in one or two quite interesting sculptors, if you look him up. Quite a lot of naked snogging. And thinking. Thinking, lots of thinking. What did you think? Really what did, sculpted, what did you think of this in France? I thought this was magnificent for so many reasons, mainly Muscat, but also Green Team Racing. 100 winners up for the season, uh, a group one and married. We'll speak to Daniel Muscat later on in the show. We'll also talk about Safer Gambling Week, which comes to a close today. Lots to get stuck into in racing debate. Stay tuned. Yes, welcome along to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. Lots and lots to get stuck into. You're welcome to get in touch as ever. We are on Twitter. We posed you a question on Twitter, didn't we, about um, August Rodin. So have a look at that at, at the races on Twitter at Sky Sports Racing as well. You can check us out on there. And you can get in touch uh, via email. We are racing at skysports.com if you'd like to drop us an email here in the studio, as some of you have already. Anthony's been in touch. We enjoyed the coverage yesterday, so it was perfection. Alex, Jamie and Mr Chapman expressing the feelings that racing fans will understand about uh, Rodan. There was lots of good analysis, I thought, yesterday. Let's start with that. What an excellent email that is, Anthony. Uh, you feel for, <laughs> feel, hello. Oh, God. God, the people back there. Um, uh, yes, what an excellent email. Well, you can email any time, Anthony. There's, there's lots more, um, but yeah. uh, we don't there's have time to go through, through, through all of it, Anthony, but it's, it's appreciated as ever. Regular correspondent, Anthony. Uh, but he was excited by August Rodan. Do you... Um, Sorry. Do you remember, it was, must have been a month ago, it was before Rodin's previous run on National Stakes Day. So he'd, he'd won his maiden at Nace. And Can we call him just Rodin now? I think it's easy. Like Jesus. Sort yeah. of just, just one. Rodin. He you doesn't know, need to be August. We, he's now Rodin. He's just Rodin. Okay. Picasso, we don't say Pablo, do we? We just say Picasso. Just say Rodin. We can just say Rodin about that. I do when I, when, I, when, I, when I used to visit Escobar's mob. But... Well, that's a different story. We don't want to go there today. Um, we had Aiden on between his second and third runs, and we didn't get a chance to speak about Rodan because he knocked my socks off at Nace. He's such an, the, the way this horse moves, the way he carries himself, I think he's very exciting. I'm just pleased that you wear socks and you're not one of those who don't, Boise. <laughs> uh, Neil Flynn on Twitter just said, Matt, I don't believe I've ever seen Aiden O'Brien so excited by one of his horses. This is clearly uh, special. Uh, I did message Aiden this morning just to check he was OK, because sure enough, you can have conversations like this and... Suddenly on Twitter, it turns out he's got a leg and he's out for, for ages. But um, Aidan O'Brien, in his words, seems perfect today. Uh, thank you very much. So, That's um, good. So uh, no problems on that subject, with before we get, Rodan. Before we get into the race, this yeah. is something that I, in your conversations, which I was following yesterday on mm. course with um, Aidan O'Brien, he said a couple of times you know, that they were perfectly willing to take the horse out. And they, they kind of assumed that they might, I think it's fair to say, when they turned up at Doncaster. But they wanted to run if they possibly could. That they wanted to get this experience experience into this horse at this time and of course they've done this lots of times before and it's got me to think why what, what what's what difference does it make for this horse as a two-year-old to experience that prior to going on to running in the guineas it's, it's all interesting Sean because when you're on track on these days it, it was quite dramatic you're, you're within 35 minutes of a group one race a race that can define a horse's whole yep. stallion career uh, in normal stables a stable's 
career. I mean, Aidan O'Brien, of course, yeah. is exception. The fact he wins these races every day of the week. And you still don't know whether they're going to let him run. Aidan said that if it had, run, if it had been heavy, he would not have run. Yep. And this did happen just two years ago. They took Wembley, if you remember, yeah. to the track. Yeah. And Wembley was pulled out before. Now... I completely understand, we all understand that people on social media, etc., go absolutely crazy and just say, just run the thing. But I, I meant it when I said to Aidan yesterday that, that, that really those people have to take a step back and say, look, this guy's doing it in the interests of the horse. It might not be in your interest and it might not suit you and you might think it's pathetic and they should just run. But his only interest is in that horse's welfare. And his long-term welfare yeah, and his career yeah. and all of that. And by welfare, I don't mean he's going to get injured in the race. But if a horse of that calibre runs on a surface that he just dislikes, there is, of course, that possibility that it leaves its mark for the future. And um, I think he was a very exciting horse. I thought the tactics, as I said yesterday was something that doesn't get discussed enough, but it was pure genius. The fact that Gosden had been out on the track at the same time, and I was 20 feet away from the group, Gosden and Aidan O'Brien, we saw it on Sky Sports Racing. We, we, we saw it live. But the fact that when those conversations took place, Aidan was on the left-hand side of the track by the stands rail, walking it with Wayne Lorden. And they got straight... Wayne Lorden still had his bag on his back. He, he came straight from the car to walk the track. But the fact that those conversations and, and Gosden and Aiden stopped off and said hello as they passed each other, but the fact that Aiden and his group were on the left-hand side of the track... When you and, say the left-hand, going away from the stands, do you mean? Yeah, so they're going away from the stands and they were on the left-hand side, the stand yeah. side, when we had all been told that the best ground was middle to far side. The fact that they were already doing that, and then subsequently, and we have no reason not to believe this, Gosden had said to Frankie Dottori, watch out here, I think they're going to do something. Here they're coming up the stand side now. They'd already spoken to John Good. You see there, Wayne Lawton's still got his bag. He hasn't even been into the weighing room yet. Um, and I overheard one or two conversations that Aidan had on that telephone right there at, at about this point. And they were the general gist of those were, it's not as bad as we thought. And you have to remember also that, that Aidan is used to heavy ground in Ireland which is in a different league. Remember those Punchestown festivals when the excellent... He said, he said that to you. We, we know what heavy ground yeah. is from France and, and, and we... Remember sloshing through the water when, when at the races, the old at the races had the Irish rights and it was just brilliant. We could, we could keep in touch and we loved our Irish racing and, and hopefully in the future we might be able to love our Irish racing and show the Irish what we can do for them once again, uh, which is a lot. Um, uh, it was fantastic to see. And, um, but Gosden clock that. So there was intelligence on the O'Brien side, but also John Gosden was right on the money there. Well, he may have reached the same conclusion himself yeah. as, as well, but that's where they ended up, the two, the two O'Briens and the Gosden horse, the, the key horses in the race. So what was going through the minds of all the other people? Were they, well, they were... didn't clock it. They just didn't clock it as quickly. They didn't clock it. They had the chance. Everyone had the chance to go. Look at this stage as well. The Holloway boy who's kicked on. Now, look, it's very clear to everyone, and Carl Burt Nyon admitted it afterwards, that, that he's a bit kinky, uh, Holloway boy. But him apart, the, the stand side ultimately came clear. But, Sean, there's a subtext to this. The next race, the stand side, which a group went on, six or seven of them, did not win the race. Yeah. So I don't think that, despite all that's gone on here, and I think it is a tactical masterpiece, um, 
I don't think that we should necessarily say that August Roden has been flattered in any way by but being it was on a the massive. Side. The point that Aidan O'Brien made, it seemed to me, was that the ground is cut up more than anything in the middle, and, the, and this is virgin ground. If you're running yeah. on soft ground, run on good virgin ground because there won't be any divots. You won't put your foot in a hole. So you're minimising risk and you're minimising negatives. So, so I interviewed the, the clerk of the course before racing, and he said, I said to him, if you were a jockey, where do you go? Middle to far side. But that was before racing. And where Aidan O'Brien has thought outside them, OK, well, they're going to go middle to far side. We all know that's where the best ground is. But by race number, whatever this was, four or five, yeah. that might be different. Okay. And, look, I can't, I can't emphasise enough what genius this is. It might not sound much in, in the great things of, of well, world they've put, they've cleverness, put, but... They've put themselves on the right side. Of the track. I, I got the impression when you were talking to Aidan O'Brien yesterday that he was saying... We hoped that this would work out, and it did. It did. It worked out. We hoped we were in the yes, right Yes, but everything track. about genius is... <laughs> an entrepreneur is a genius Absolutely. if his company yeah. or her company works out. What about... They're not if it doesn't. The other aspect of the race, which was very interesting, was the pace of the race. And I was flabbergasted to see... The, they ran the final furlong in, like, 15 seconds. Which is low. And that was the quickest. Uh, Rodan was the quickest of them at 50. They came up the hill at Cheltenham quicker than that. So they, they went, relative to the conditions, way too quick early on. And they were all guilty... Of that, and I, when I, I remember, as I was watching the race, I thought that's a very long way to be sending Rodan when Ryan Moore sent him. But with hindsight, I wonder whether he looked across and saw the other side and thought, "They're ahead of me. I'm going to have to go." Well, that's quite possible, uh, Sean. I think the part played by Wayne Lorden as well um, is a key one um, because. That side-on showed us that Holloway Boy was a good three or four lengths clear of, of, that way, didn't it? of, yeah. of Salt Lake City. Yeah. And the fact that Wayne Lorden hadn't gone crazy to keep up with Holloway Boy, that the clock in Wayne's head told him that that side were going too fast... Well, I think we they were all going a bit fast. Yeah, we'll see it again <laughs> here. When the, when the camera angle changed and Holloway Boy kicks, and you can't blame them doing something different with Holloway Boy... Obviously, his Royal Ascot success was from way off the pace, but he's been unlucky of late, and I think they just thought, look, let's just have a crack at this this time. As it happens, I think his running style is a closing running style, otherwise he could... But you watch when the camera angle chat. I don't think this is an optical illusion. I think the far side... Well, I checked with Jamie Lynch this morning. He reckoned three they're... to four clear. Well, the front horses are about a length and a half away from each other, but for... if you're Ryan Moore on board Rodan, then you're a further length and a half, so you are probably three, four yeah. lengths at least. I'd be behind. surprised if it wasn't a little bit more than a length and a half, to be quite honest, but I, mean, I still think he's a length down now. But... but this makes what Rodan did all the more extraordinary, in a way, because he, he's kicked for the first time way out, I'd say at least two furlongs out, and then he goes again inside this fight. I know that relatively he's going slowly. I, I'm going to ask our top production team just to roll that back two furlongs out again, because while we're talking about the winner, I would just like to talk about Epictetus, uh, the second horse, because Gosden, again, emphasised beforehand, Frankie would not knock this horse about. Now, yep. look at Dittori here. He, he gives him one little backhand on the right there. Holloway Boy comes across. From now on, and this is a furlong, is it half a furlong out? Half a furlong out? I can't tell. Furlong out, I think. Um, Frankie, yeah, there's the half furlong pole. Frankie just nudges, and that horse runs right to the line under what can only be described as tender handling because he's not going to win. That, the, that second horse, who's only had three races, has definitely more to come as well. Yeah, yeah. I think... I think... 
everyone everyone's nudging at that stage because they are they're almost walking they're going so uh, slow early on but i i think that way makes rodan's performance fairly remarkable Ro i think roger it was a tough race fourth. Yep. it's worth a mention yeah, yeah. it's not every day roger teal's finishing fourth in a group one he'd be delighted that yeah. particularly of course he's yeah. been robbed of the portland by um the ridiculous appeals uh, in the week so um roger will have ended the week with a smile on his face. He will. He will. That was a nice performance uh, there. So uh, where do we stand on him? Uh, Derby horse, Guinea's horse, both. Well, well I, I had a long chat with Aidan yesterday, but the one question that I didn't put to him is, with a mixture of Little Big Bear, who people are wondering whether he's going to stay, and the stamina of Orgas Rodin, surely you go into the 2,000 Guineas with two very different horses, but giving you options. If it turns into a stamina-laden slog and it's muddy, not that it usually is at Newmarket, clearly August Roden's going to come into his own. If the ground is good to farm and it's a sunny day and it's a sprint test, then you've got Little Big Bear, hopefully, if he comes back. So I, I just feel with those two animals, he's got everything covered in the 2,000 Guineas. So surely you run both. And then, of course, August Roden, we would think, would go straight to the derby. I think Rodan will be even more exciting, even more impressive on a really nice surface, actually. Well, I think Aidan will be relieved, Boise, that he hears you say that. <laughs> he's, he's, that, go back and look at that nace race. It's, it's a thing of beauty. And you saw it in moments, funnily enough, just trotting around afterwards. He's, he's just balletic, that horse. I Sculptured? Oh, he just sends a tingle up the spine. There's something about him. He's got that X factor. You're talking, Boise, as if you're in need of a little tingle at the moment. Like, oh, this has just provided you with he, that extra... It's, it's, it's not often, you know, it's, sometimes you think this is a fairly straightforward business, isn't it? They, they're all fairly similar, these horses. They're all constructed in much the same way. you just got to try and work out which one's going to run quicker under the conditions and stuff like that. And then you see individuals who are just physically exceptional. And I just, like, the way he moves, for me, is... Uh, it, it does it. One thing, on raw ability, yeah. clearly he's a bit loopy-loo, but on raw ability, if Holloway Boy went and won the 2,000 guineas, I would not be surprised in the slightest. OK. Yeah. You can laugh at me. No, I'm not going to laugh at not. It's but there was a moment in that race where you thought, hold on, this horse has just took, took off. Yeah. Now, as it happens, then he went crazy. Well, but, but, yeah, and nobody was going to be able to do that and get home in that, no, those but, conditions. Yes. But there's a loopy bit of brilliance in Holloway yeah. Boy. He, he could be the classic, you know, just the slight, the genius with a little bit of a kink. I could, see why, I could see why that would appeal to you, Matt. Uh, let's see what our, our, our viewers thought. Guineas, Derby... Or both. Everyone leaning more Derby. Everyone leaning stamina. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's not a surprise. Is I'm, it? I'm voting both. I think he's got the speed for a Guinness in the class to to do that and then go on to middle distances. We hope. Yes. We hope. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The percentage is more for both than just just the Guineas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So, uh, but yeah. I mean, look. The Derby, I think, if you ask that question, was always going to be the number yeah. one answer. And Blackbeard is lurking there as the most exciting. Two-year-old we've seen probably. Blackbeard? A black Little Big Bear. Yeah. Little Big Bear. Um, yeah, I mean, Blackbeard, of course, we're going to see yeah. in the Breeders' Cup yeah. Juvenile Turf yeah. Sprint, um, which looks like being a cracking race. It's yes. So uh, excited for that. Yes. A Little Big Bear. Beer. Little Big Bear. Certainly has one or two of those kinks that you, you're, you're a fan of. Uh, coming up after the break, we'll yeah. hear from another Group 1 winner. That was Daniel Musket, who won the Group 1 over in France, which looked a terrific race, actually, it, uh, that race it, in it, France. It, it was one of the best... Just a race that we have seen all year. Yeah. Excitement-wise. Yeah, and uh, lots of strength and depth in it. He won it on Dubai Mile. We'll catch up with Daniel Musket after the break.
Welcome back to Racing Debate, as usual. Debating in the break, things that we don't have time to go into, Matt, so we must move on. Right, sure. Um, but let's talk about another great race from yesterday. We talked about the Verton Futurity. All eyes were on that uh, for many people over here, but there was a brilliant race uh, over in France yesterday, which is the Criterium de Saint-Cloud, which in terms of depth was perhaps even more exciting and more challenging. And there were some great horses in that, but it was Dubai Mile who came out on top for trainer, uh, trainers, Mark and Charlie Johnson, and for jockey, Daniel Musket, who I'm delighted to say joins us now. Welcome, Daniel. Um, I tell you what, I mean, let, let's talk about the race itself, because it's very rare to see a race like that won in the way that you won it, by going on and then it looked for all the world that you were going to be swamped and consumed by the field, and then you came through and won it. Were you, were you confident that you were still in the race and still had a chance of winning it throughout? Morning, Sean. Morning, Matt. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, well, to be honest, it was he's he made the running in um, most of his starts, and he's he's a very uncomplicated horse, and he he just goes out there and finds his own rhythm, and um, still shows um, a little bit of inexperience, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we kind of went out with the same sort of game plan. Didn't want to change things before the race, and. Um, they, yeah, the first half went similar to how his other runs have gone, and um, just as we got around halfway on the turn, um, they, a couple of them took off to to try and um, race towards to get that rail, uh, which was proving the place to be. And um, it was just the ground is pretty testing, like like it was everywhere yesterday, and. Um, if people are watching this at home, you're on the, the horse, the chestnut horse with the white face is on the inside, on the right as we look at it, and three or four horses went past you on that bend. And it's, as I say, it's remarkable, really, to see how this horse picks up. You, you mentioned greenness. Mark Johnson said the same thing post-race to Catherine, which sounds a bit odd because he's had a good few runs now. So is, is he finding stuff coming a bit easy to him, maybe? Is that what it is? Uh, I, I, think, I think so, yeah. He, um, he's, he's got a very, very good attitude. Um, and he's, he's probably one of those is it, is it typical sort of Charlie Mark Johnson horse that really, really gave down his sword and um, you know, he, he enjoyed having something to chase up the straight like yesterday rather than them coming to him. Um, just the way it panned out, I'm, I'm not too sure whether the um, whether were, everyone was desperate to try and get that get that stand side rail, um, whether a few of them used up their Used up their runs trying to trying to swing off and get there early um, in, a, in an attempt to get there. I was able to just kind of cut the corner a little bit um, and then get get across to Rab um, when a few of the other ones start to falter um, shortly after we turned in. So you know, it, um, it's not often that you get get a loop like that and then come back. But I suppose that, that sort of very difficult ground um, can throw up uh, funny sort of. Um, sort of results you know with the, the, with the way the races are panning out um, but he's he's done it on all sorts of ground showed a very good attitude in all of the starts and just you know delighted really Danny why I thought that was such a brilliant ride from you was that that once you haven't got that stands rail they come pretty close together and you know the French rules so you know that you know it's not like over here where you can touch a little bit and you might still keep it over there you'd be out but you've managed to ride a pretty aggressive finish while not interfering with the horse on the rail. I mean, I reckon nine times out of ten in a finish like that, the horse on the rail 
has that benefit of the rail and probably wins a ding-dong finish. But Or gets squeezed yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> but it almost looked like there was a little touching at one point. Maybe the horse on the rail just bumped you a little bit. It was almost like every time the other horse perhaps even just nudged you, it spurred Dubai Mile on. It, it, he almost looked encouraged by the nudging. Um, I, I'm not too sure about that, really. He's, he's like, you can just see from his head carriage, he, if he put it any lower, he'd probably trip over it. Um, but that was just become very characteristic of, of the Roaring Lions. Um, and he's, he's, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be right that, it, that obviously with the French rules, but even, even with our rules, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right to, 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 to be, going out there with the intention of um, being aggressive towards another horse. Um, but no, when, when my guy locked onto, um, locked onto the Jevmont horse, um, the two of us showed, we, the, the, both horses showed a lot of heart, which is always good to see, and the two of them pulled well clear, and I think they both deserve a lot of credit, not just my horse, um, but John Golson's horse arrest as well, and um, they, both look, they both look nice horses to go forward. Can I, can I ask you, Danny, because I, I've got to know Danny a little bit, Boise, because he went to China once. And I always joke, I don't know if he is still the, the only British jockey to have ridden a winner in China, but he certainly was at one stage. We went to this place called Ordos, and um, uh, Danny rode a winner on the racetrack there. But at that time, Danny, you were, you were kind of a jockey chugging along. I mean, it's amazing. He's, he's not been riding that long. He's only been around 10 years, Danny. But if you look at the figures... You know, starts off 10, 14, 20, then 18 after four scenes, 38, 44, 28, 36, 45. Chugging along, really, you know, earning a living, but nothing spectacular. I think that's fair to say. And then suddenly, Danny, the last two seasons, 84 last year, 104 now. What, what has taken off in the last two years? Because you've always been a hard worker. Anyone hearing you now will always know that you're, you know, you're, you're level-headed, um, not crazy person like some. Um, what has taken off in these last two seasons that has propelled you into this totally different stratosphere? Um, I think it's probably just... Well, it's, I've been a slow burner. Or, or I was ever since all through my apprenticeship, I didn't get huge amounts of opportunities, but got plenty, probably not, probably plenty enough, but not on the big stage. Um, uh, being a bit bigger, my weight was probably a bit of a hindrance when I was claiming. Um, and now I've just tried to keep, like you have to do in in, all, in any sort of sort of um, career or industry, you have to just take the rough with the smooth and keep plugging on. And um, lucky that I've had a lot of a lot of support from from some very loyal people, and um, those sorts of connections have strengthened and led to new ones. And um, the last sort of two or three years, the quality of horse that I've been able to to get on in the afternoons has um, has gone up tenfold, and I'm uh, no, just delighted to be able to to kind of capitalise on them. It's not always success easy. Success should be success, though, shouldn't it, uh, Daniel? So that that hundred this year, that's a, that, that's a big milestone. And also, Group Ones are big milestones, aren't they? Win, winning those races and uh, Mark, you've already ridden plenty for James Fanshawe, but riding a Group One for Mark Johnston. The other Thing from a trainer point of view, George Bowie, George Scott, Kevin Philippart, the Foy, these guys who are they're all taking off as well and they're using you. So everything everything could be coming together. Yeah, hopefully. Um 
obviously it's uh, James Natchel's been been a huge supporter of mine for a number of years. I've been involved at Pegasus for for kind of four or five years now. Um, he sort of gave me a little plenty of helping hand once I've once I'd written out my claim and uh, Marco to continue to use me once I once I finished my apprenticeship. Um, and and then yeah, the sort of those those younger trainers that have come on the scene. Um, I've got good associations with them. I'm, I'm, ne- I'm never shy in the mornings to get stuck in and, and do my do my bit. Um, so that's obviously played a big big helping hand. But um, no, it's it's you. Sometimes you need to be you need an opportunity on a big big day with a decent horse, and um, that leads to more. But getting on that first one and and doing doing the business can be can be the hardest part sometimes uh, what was noticeable Sean because I had Danny obviously in my in my racing league team which 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 clearly his team would have won with a different captain but unfortunately they were they were hindered by me being awful on the final meeting but um when I was obviously you have some trainers that that your jockeys regularly ride for yeah. and the Philip Art Defoy uh, but not just the, the the bigger names Mike Murphy and Keedy yeah. like, if they had a runner in the team we want Danny. We want Danny. Like they were very, very loyal to Danny. Like from not not loyal from the point of view of being kind to him, but loyal as in we want him. Like we don't want anyone else. We don't care who else is available. We want we want Musker, and he was he was brilliant on um, Temple Brewer uh, in the racing league who who won up north. I mean, it was a fantastic ride. So look, Danny, I thought that was sensational yesterday, and I think everyone hopes that this move now, as we were saying at the start, you've been married this year, you've got your 100 winners and a Group 1 winner. I'm not sure what you've got to do to top that next year, and it's going to be hard to, but... Um, uh, well, you're not going to top, obviously, getting married. You don't really want to do that again. But um, uh, let's hope it, it, it just... This this rise continues. I, I, I really think it will. Yeah, thank you, Matt. You, you weren't the worst team captain we could have had. That's um, yeah, not what you said at the time. There's no point in being nice now. You're on debate. <laughs> no, I was always, I was always in your corner. when we needed it. Um, yeah. no, well, I'm swapping you for Safi Osborne next year. Okay. Fine. <laughs> no, it was good fun. It was good fun. I don't think you're getting subbed out. That's for sure. Look, uh, well Actually, done. Yes, before you go, Danny. Oh no, because. Well, I've just been left a message from Ahmed Al Sheikh, who might just be watching. And but as it's a voice message, I, I better not play it just in case it's not. We'll check, we'll check that out in the break, just in, just in case it's going to get before, anyone in trouble. Before but, I go, can I just say that um, no, it was great. It was, yesterday was a big day for me, but it was also huge for for Ahmed as well because that was his first Group One too. So yeah, we had to do it together. Was 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 pretty pretty unreal, and I think it's yeah. only just going to sink in for both of us really. Um, well, he's definitely a man that will will note what you've given him. I think he's one of those people that will will appreciate that. And one thing about, I mean, we can say it while you're on because we're going to say it after you after Danny goes. Is that you know, Ahmed Al Sheikh? I said it in a tweet yesterday. This is just the kind of fella racing needs. Now, a lot of people will say, "Oh, well, he's a sheikh and he's got lots of money." Yes, that's true. Although it is through hard work in his case, um, but um, uh, he is so enthusiastic. I mean, I suspect he drives a few trainers bonkers but he is so enthusiastic he absolutely loves the game his whole family's involved um the green team racing is only going to get bigger and they understand the trading of horses etc so uh i think i think you've been 
You've been in the right place at the right time and produced a monster ride, Danny. So, uh, as we said uh, about 10 minutes ago, let's hope this carries on next season and well done. Yeah, well done, Danny. Absolutely. Th thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. Funny enough, he, he could have been riding for most of this season, the, the Melbourne Cup winner, of course, because he's been on Deauville Legend for a lot Who's of Who's going to ride that, do we know? I don't know. I don't think it's muscular. We should have, we should have asked him that. Yeah, but um, uh, it, I, Deauville Legend. Karen McAvoy, isn't it? Karen McAvoy, I think, probably, right? Probably. I think probably he he'd be a go-to guy, wouldn't yeah. he, for a job like that. But Daniel Muscat doing very, very well yesterday. We've got more to come. It was safe for gambling. He still is, actually. This is the final day, if you're watching live. More about that after the break. Yes, it has been Safer Gambling Week all this week. If you're watching us live on Sunday, this is the final day of Safer Gambling Week, which is becoming a, a regular feature of the year, an industry initiative just to raise awareness around uh, keeping your gambling in safe limits, I suppose, would be a, a, a headline way of describing it. Uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about what's been involved from an industry perspective and in terms of the research which is informing some of this work in this particular field by Jay Robinson, uh, who joins us live now. I'm delighted to say Jay works for Focal Research, uh, a research group. Um, thanks for joining us, Jay. appreciate you giving us your time. Just very quickly for, for our viewers' benefit and for ours, actually, can you, can you give me a, a quick sketch of what your role is personally and, and what Focal Research do and what they provide the industry? Happily, yes, and thanks for inviting me. I've been working in the space of safer gambling for over 20 years, and Focal Research has been in operation over 30. And uh, in a nutshell, I, I think the best way to summarize our involvement is to safeguard the public against harms for um, gambling activities. And doing that through really good evidence and really good programming. So while Focal is a research consulting firm, I myself, um, have a background in training and interaction with interacting with operators around providing responsible gambling training, responsible gaming training. Um, to get together, we really are supporting operators, regulators, and people who gamble to do so safely. So, how does that work, Jay? If if, if I'm yeah. if I've got a betting company, maybe I've got an online yeah. betting business, and I come to you and I say, yes. you know, help me understand what's going on with my customers what what kind of things would you be looking at for me and what advice would you be giving me yeah that's a really good grounded question thank you um so there are data analytics and we've been talking about these in the field the last several years in a really big way data analytics that can be used to um, identify when people are playing in risky ways so focal really uh, led from the front in doing data analysis around risky play indicators and has um, systems whereby um, you can identify if someone who is playing an electronic game of any sort, electronic roulette, or who's betting on sports, who is playing on an electronic gaming machine, is making decisions that are risky. So it doesn't mean somebody necessarily has a problem with their gambling, but it does indicate that if they continue to gamble this way, they will experience harms because they're playing in a high-risk way. Can you give me an um, example of that, Jay? What would that, what would that look like? Or, or, yeah. or, or what might it look like? Yeah, you're making decisions, for example, to um, exceed your limits, to go back and get more money okay. to continue to play. So you've hit your threshold and there's a, there's a break in play, and then you, re, you reignite your play to chase a bonus, for example. Um, so there's different play decisions that people who have 
harms related to gambling will make, high risk play behaviors around, let's just say chasing, for example, chasing, chasing yeah. a bonus on. Yeah. Um, but it's in concert with 279 other variables to really help ground it so that somebody's not over-identified uh, in terms of how they're playing. Well, this, this um, comes to an important question about balance in general, doesn't it, in this whole field? Because, of course, gambling, huge. by definition, involves some element of risk. That's why we enjoy it. That's why it rewards us, of course, the, the risk, both potentially financial, but also in terms of excitement and, and fun. So how do we get that balance right between hopefully protecting someone from harm which could be avoided and not intervening, not interfering in what is our personal right to, to have some fun? Absolutely. Best question. This is an adult activity, but it's age restricted for a reason, right? I mean, there are certain cognitive processes that somebody has to have to be able to understand the risk and then make decisions based on it. And having been in the, in the field over 20 years, I have to say, um, in, in public health messaging, we've really actually not done a very good job at communicating the risk because it's been very big brother and very like finger pointing and very don't develop a problem, don't go over your limits and that kind of thing. But if we think about limits, we haven't communicated limits in a way that's really positive that makes anyone who's playing want to use the limits. So for example, limits are good. If I have more coffee today than I've had, I'm gonna be kind of bananas. So it's really good for everyone who's watching that I have a limit on how much coffee I consume. Uh, we have not communicated in a positive way the value of limit setting and how to do it. So if I ask you, for example, we talk about budgets and avoiding harms and balancing activities and whatnot, but if I ask either of you, what's your budget for technology or for ties or for shoes, you're probably not gonna have a very strong answer for that. And yet we expect people to make a budget for an activity that in and of itself is immersive. Part of the joy of gambling is just losing, you know, suspending disbelief around that. So I, so, in answer to your question, I think we need to be much more proactive and much more incentivizing in how we communicate tools that do exist and why, why and how people can use them to enjoy, enhance their gaming experience, not to detract from it. And I think we haven't really been very creative about that message. Hi, Jay. Matt here. I just wanted to ask you a, a couple of things. For, firstly, um, being a gambler, but a good gambler, there yes. are positives to come out of that in that some of the most disciplined people I know are good gamblers and yet that type of personality is 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 never highlighted so in fact these people are are goodness in society not not bad people they're actually showing you how you can behave and 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 be disciplined in life and let's face it a lot of people are not disciplined in life whether it's gambling or or anything else you only have to look at perhaps the government at the moment to understand how difficult discipline can be yeah. in in this country well that's an extreme example you're throwing out there that's, <laughs> you should reel it back in and keep it in the realm of of of, of the ordinary yeah but i wanted to ask you um a couple of things um yes uh, as far as gambling is concerned, it, look, everyone wants people to be safe in whatever they do, whether it's gambling, drinking, whatever, yes. whatever driving a car. Yes. Um, it, it, we all want that. Uh, in, in, in this country, and particularly in racing at the moment, horse racing, um, mm -hmm. I think people are scared to even promote gambling in any way whatsoever. But, of course, if you don't promote something, it, it's very hard then to put the other side of the fact that you have to be safe with it. And if you did the, both things at the same time, I think it would help you that, you know, gambling is good, it, it, it brings fun, enjoyment, it can be a good activity, but just be careful. Whereas we, we differentiate both. It's either 
there are good gamblers who are safe or there are terrible people who are having terrible times because they can't... Like, if it was just a little bit or more that both sides came together, would, do you think that would help in any way whatsoever? Yes, and I think that's one of the goals of Safer Gambling Awareness Week is to really bring bring all sides to the table. People who gamble, so you're right, people who gamble well, gamble in ways that are a part of their culture, add to their life, don't cause any uh, unwanted consequences. People might lose money, but they have budgeted for the amount that they're spending as opposed to unwanted consequences of, you know, um, overspending. So we can but haven't yet meaningfully communicated how the the work that we do to prevent harms actually helps somebody enjoy their experience in a safe way and you hit it right on the head when you're talking about horse racers who are smart gamblers and, and betting in in smart ways we haven't really used gambling language to communicate um strategy to gamble as safely as possible. There are ways you can choose to bet on various on all the games that can maximize your enjoyment, maximize your time you in the venue or at the track with losing or spending less money, right? But we don't communicate it that way. We communicate very much from a like, don't have harms, don't go over your limit. But we could be communicating the opposite or we could be incentivizing people to gamble in a safe way by providing some sort of perk or some sort of acknowledgement yeah. or uh, reward if they if they do gamble in yeah. a positive way. And final question, Jane. Um, dividing horse racing, because obviously you're talking to a, a horse racing channel here, essentially. Yes. Um, yes. The difference between horse racing and betting online on, on slot machines and stuff like that, in, in your experience with the people you work with, and don't get me wrong, we hear terrible stories in horse racing as well, but they yes. are freak stories they're not everyday occurrences is is your experience that horse racing is is a slightly different medium or at least i hope your experience is it's a different medium to just being at 2 a.m in the morning uh, yes. and getting rid of every credit your card you've got on a slot yes. machine online yes absolutely because horse racing is much more embedded in culture than other types of gambling in my experience um, so you can't separate the person's beliefs around betting sometimes from the cultural values related to horse racing. Horse racing is, you know, in, in the UK, in Australia, massive and important part of cultural traditions. Interesting. Um, Australia takes a day off for the Melbourne Cup. I mean, it's a big yep. deal. Uh, Focal has done work in the horse racing space to identify risk related to betting patterns as well. So there are data analytics that can be used to identify still, even if it's a regular customer, somebody can be playing in a way one day that is harmful, right? They don't have to be doing it in a persistent and ongoing way, although some people do. But our goal really is to be able to support customers using customer service and using the things that matter to them to help them enjoy their gambling experience by having no harms associated with it by doing That's it safely as possible a great note to round up on look many thanks jay for your time really appreciate your your input today because i know you're on vacation at the moment so uh, appreciate your time many thanks thanks jay thank you i think thank you for inviting me i appreciate the time that was jay robinson from focal research group some interesting stuff there about data many viewers also think Bookmakers are very good at using data when it suits them, so they should be able to use it to help us as well. We will continue to watch that space. Back after the break with more good news for punters concerning prices at the races.
Welcome back to Racing Debate here on Sky Sports Racing. It's been a packed show. We're going to squeeze in uh, another item for you, though, and it's good news, actually. And it's an initiative that was announced this week by Chester Racecourse about £10 tickets uh, that will be available next season, which in the current cost-of-living crisis is welcome news indeed. Let's find out more. Uh, Chester's CEO, Louise Stewart, joins us live uh, on the line right now. Welcome, Louise. Thanks for coming on. Um, £10 tickets, it sounds marvellous. Um, what's, what, what's involved? What's, how's, how's it going to work? Well, essentially, we've combined two of our um, enclosures. So the open course and the D enclosure are our two cheapest enclosures already. And we've combined them to make a really great value ticket for racing fans. So um, the open course gets um, better, even better viewing. So they get trackside and the stands in the D, and the D gets um, a cheaper ticket than they would ordinarily. So £10 entry level. We're also looking at improving the food and beverage offer in those areas and the cover. Racing is an outdoor sport, but um, we, we do think that we need to look at um, improving the cover and activations in those areas. Um, we're very conscious of the cost of living crisis and the impact that it's going to have on household budgets. So we've really challenged ourselves, despite the pressure that we are under on every single budget line, to make sure that we're providing a great value day out at every price point at Chester. So, that, you know, there's a lot of diversity in what people want and expect from a racing day out. And so that value at every price point is, is really important. So Just that's that's why we've done it. OK, just on, on, on that entry level, the £10 entry level, what would I get for that, Louise? I'd be able to see the course, obviously. Um, what if I want to get to the paddock? Can I, can I upgrade or...? No, so um, the, the D and the Open as, as individual enclosures don't have access to the paddock area, but what you do get is you get trackside viewing and grandstand viewing from right. the D, so you can really see those horses coming around the final bend, the castle bends, and into the final furlong. At the same time, we've reduced our tax um, enclosure ticket so that is entry level at 20 pounds and that does give you access to the paddock area and the pad lawn so you've got grandstand you've yep. got a food festival area so it's a really great value ticket and we've also frozen the county enclosure ticket as well which also has um, access to the, the paddock area so we've really challenged ourselves to make sure that whilst we know that a lot of our racing fans and race goers will be feeling the pressure next year as well as us as a business that we're actually trying to make sure that we're providing that great value race day out to encourage people to keep coming racing. I think it's absolutely brilliant, Louise. Look, sometimes, as everyone will appreciate, such is the world, you do a show like this and you're asked to plug things. Um, this is something, and, and you do it because that's what you're told to do. Uh, this is something that, that, that doesn't need any plug. There is no one watching this that doesn't think this is a good idea. No one. You could plug this every day of your life and be happy to plug it. And the thing about not getting to the paddock, before anyone thinks, oh, you can't... Look, if everyone paying 10 quid was allowed to the paddock, then no one would be able to see anything because it would just be a wash with, with the 10-pounders. So that makes absolute sense to me as well. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's almost amazing, Louise, in some ways, that that this kind of thing hasn't already been gone. I don't want to have a go at Ascot in any way, but I just put out there the other week when they couldn't fill the cheap enclosure. Which I, just let anyone who's got a member's badge to any race course in the country, if you can show you've got a member's badge, just let them in. 
because at the end of the day, racing is about atmosphere most of the time, as we've seen in our... We showed last week, Sean, with the, with the singing in Australia and everything. Yeah. And, and Louise, particularly Chester, you know, we love the racing, but I would hazard a guess that most people who go to Chester Racecourse love the atmosphere. It's unique, it's enclosed, but you can only create atmosphere if you've got the people. That's absolutely right. And that's that's what we really pressured ourselves on, is how do we make sure that we encourage people to come racing? We, It is a really small space that we have. You know, we're not Ascot, we're not York. They have, a, and I now having been to those race courses, appreciate how much more space they have than we have at Chester. So you're right about paddock enclosure. In order to keep that experience as, as good as it needs to be, we do have to respect access. But, you know, it, it seems obvious, but believe me, it's going to be really difficult for race courses to do this over, over the next 18 months. There's pressure on every single cost line and just opening the doors. It, it still requires labour costs to, to steward those courses properly. Yeah. So it is really challenging. And so I'm delighted that the team have worked with me to really um, rise to this challenge. And I'm, I'm hoping that the race fans do like it and they do come. Well, we hope so too. Many thanks for your time, Louise. That's good stuff. And it's a good news story to end on in tough that times. It? That That's it? it. That's all we've got time for. Just, can we just wrote. say, because I don't think we announced it, Dubai Mile doesn't go to the sales tomorrow, stays in training with Ahmed Al-Sheikh and will go for the derby.